everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fam, Friends, and Magic, a Magic the Gathering podcast brought to you by Swagoy Gaming. My name is Bill Grennan, everyone calls me Brasky, and as always, I am joined by the Mighty Linguini, Caroline Cavanaugh, Conan Hawk, Eric Hawkins, and Mr. Toolshed, Sean Gallagher. What's up, fam? How you doing? <laughs> hey, how's it going? Everyone's Just chilling. Everyone's <laughs> hanging out. We tried to do this in succession, and it didn't work, and that's fine. I forgot I was first. <laughs> You got to jump in there, Caroline. You got to jump in there. Oh my I, I forgot I was first, I promise. I, I, at first, I thought you were going to go first, and then I was like, maybe we're just doing this all at once. So I, I didn't just... have a good joke this time. You know, Caroline, are you in Canada right now? Is that where you're, you're yes. currently? See, that's the thing. She's so like, she's just deferring to everyone else that we're all just being so polite. You can tell that like most of us are from the Midwest that we're like, no, after you, after you. Sorry. Sorry. No, it's fine. I thought I thought it was the, the delay, like the, the moose internet was taking too long to get to me. That's yes. why. Yeah. But okay, someone please make a magic card and tweet at Swigo Gaming of what the magic card moose internet is. I wanna know the colors, I wanna know the mana cost, I wanna know what it does. I need to know what moose internet does. That's the important I have thing. had multiple children design me magic cards they are on my twitter they're very cute what's the best one that you've seen so far like what's one that you can bring up to mind that's just being like yes that is absolutely a magic card that needs to happen oh i they made me into a magic card it was very cute all right well you do some uh, research and find it a little bit later and yeah we will... i'm gonna find it during my segment oh that's perfect great. and you know what? that would be something that would be something that would be brought up in the throne of Eldraine. It's like, this seems like a magic, this seems like a set where a couple of kids made up something. It's like, hey, didn't say please, or hey, baked into a pie. And then you have didn't say please. What, like, what's brought to it at the same time. Instead but, of R&D, they just brought in all their children, and the children just drew the art and then named the cards. That's what they did. That's exactly, I wouldn't put it past them, because this set is brilliant. This set's amazing. Uh, One of my friends actually had... Um, the Emrakul, the original Emrakul, was, uh, he thought it was a kid-created card because of just how much text <laughs> they were on it. They were like, it's a 15-15, it costs 15 mana, and then also it has Annihilator 6, and then also it can't be countered, and then also you get a time walk, and then they're like, are you done yet? They're like, no, also, and it just keeps going and going and going, and they're like, I think one of the kids just made it from, you know, one of the R&D kids. If anyone at Wizards is listening to this podcast, and the off chance that they are listening to this podcast, they need to make, like, an offshoot set just make it like a, you know, just a few tens, you know, 50 cards, but they're all designed by toddlers, every single one. And it's going to be like <laughs> unstable or something else that you just play on a one-off, but all of them are designed by toddlers and it just is an absolute glorious mess. Okay. So I, I know I said we were going to do this later, but I already found it because I'm great. And Perfect. so I would like to read, oh no, uh, I would like to read my card and I'll show you guys so you can follow along. You can put this in the show notes if you wish. <laughs> Copyright, of course, to my the kid friend that made this for of me. Of course, they get all proceeds. Um, so I believe I am actually unclear. I believe I'm four black and red, I think. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> and I'm a leader dash human spy. So leader, I guess, is the creature type. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and when I enter the battle, or oh, I have an ability called support. And when I enter the battlefield, I give all other creatures plus two plus two. But it's unclear if it's only my creatures. <laughs> and, and I'm a 4-3. So this is, this I, is me. You're such a nice person that I do believe you would just help everybody else on the battlefield. Right? It's like, you know what? Everybody gets plus two, plus two. Also, I like how your name is spelled incorrectly as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. 
So I think, you know, if, if I'm going to give this a Luis Scott Vargas treatment, this is uh, four black and a red, uh, so six mana for a four three. Doesn't pass the vanilla test right off the bat. It really does not pass the vanilla <laughs> test. Uh, support, interesting. I think if I was drafting this, I would give you a – it's, it's, it's playable. I'd give you a C-. minus. That's, that's, that's what I would give you right now. Oh, no. I'm not even legendary. At least the art's on point. That's it's a pretty true. good portrait of That's Carol. solid <laughs> art. Yeah, I look great, actually. What, what are the bones coming out in the background? I'm great that we're talking about the great art of this card in an audio-only podcast, so I have to make sure I put this in the notes. Like it, Later on, I'm going to edit in, like, at this point, we talk about Caroline's exact... Uh, she's She has brown hair in a ponytail and is costing four black and white. The frame is gold, obviously, because uh, it's multicolored, so it's fine. That's what's, that's what's going to happen with this whole thing. We have to, like, we have, is, we have, to have sub-notes with the rest of this podcast. Why is there an eggplant right next to you? It looks uh, like a backpack. I'm pretty sure <laughs> oh, it's a backpack. She's holding... That would be more... She has I a backpack. you're holding, like, a lightsaber. She's got a backpack. <laughs> so to give the listeners an idea of what's going on, uh, Caroline is wearing body armor along with glasses and has a long po- uh, ponytail. She also has what appears to be both uh, a pistol and a machine gun with a silencer <laughs> and a laser point. Uh, she is pointing it upwards towards the sky in defiance of anything that comes near her. Fr- I- I'm guessing she has reach. Uh, and then uh, she also has a purple backpack, and I think there's some bones sticking out of the ground next to her, which obviously that makes sense because she's, uh, she's black and red in terms of the coloring. I think uh, overall... I think that's a that's a solid card art right there. <laughs> that's the graveyard she put the bodies in <laughs> of all the creatures she's killed in combat that she's given support to. That's that's the key one. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I love every bit of this card. It makes me so happy. <laughs> this will get posted to show notes when it happens and it'll get posted to Twitter. Everything about it is absolutely amazing. <laughs> So aside from having custom cards designed from you by the top-notch designers that are those under the age of 10, How's everybody else's week of magic been? Uh, the Throne of Eldraine has come out. Pre-releases are happening before the official release happens. Uh, I myself, you know, I, I've just been enjoying the little things. And for me, it's it's enjoying the ability to play 12 games of any deck you want to in Magic the Gathering Arena, which means immediately, as we discussed in our last episode, I absolutely tried to make Demir Mill a thing. And then I saw what a few other people are doing, so I made uh, Demir Lockmere Mill a thing. And so I'm flashing out seven sevens. I'm putting a lot of things into people's graveyards. I am exiling them whenever I can, whenever it works for my, uh, whenever it works for the deck. I don't have to exile them if I don't want to, but just dropping seven sevens out of nowhere uh, on people, flashing them out, and then milling their deck in the process um, has made me feel good. It made other people feel terrible. Caroline, what about you? Um, I had an adventurous weekend. I hit up not one, but five pre-releases in four different cities. Uh, someone debated that they're not really four different, like, unique cities, but they required a lot of travel time, including one of them required taking a boat. So that was fun. Um, I did play Red Black three times. I don't know if that was good or bad um, or just, you know, leaning towards it because I knew it was a, a thing I could do. Sometimes it, re- it was because I had a lot of red and black mythics other times it just looked like fun i would say overall this set is pretty value filled the adventure cards are just a a lot of stuff uh like you know two for ones and all that jazz uh overall i did enjoy the games but uh struggled to be on the board first and i think that mattered a lot so something i want to look into at least in sealed 
You know, you bring up a good point of the fact uh, the the keyword here, and it's I don't want to use this as a negative, but a lot of the one word that kind of comes from this pre-release that I see in a lot of people, at least in the sealed format, and even trying to find standard desk uh, decks, is struggle. It's it's a lot it's a lot of grind. There's not a lot of uh, if you try to go aggro, there's a lot of stuff that can stop you there, and so things have been uh, kind of a struggle. Eric, I know you personally. Uh, are trying to find like what's that? What's that? I mean, you of all people are really good at finding that one good standard deck that's going to take over uh, uh, any type of constructed events, and you've been having a little bit of issues, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I've been basically just like banging my head against the wall to find uh, what could be like the best deck in standard. Um, and I mean, you know, you, you you try a bunch of different things uh, from you know, like Oko looking really good, the the mono black stuff looking really good. I, I personally love aggressive decks, so trying to like play, you know, venerated Loxodon again. Um, and really nothing like at the beginning was really panning out. Um, but later on, like you st I started finding some really good stuff, some of the adventure stuff, uh, some of the mono black decks, and that's like when it gets like really, really rewarding. So yeah, I mean, like lots of up and downs, but uh, for overall, I kind of enjoyed myself in the process of trying to find something great and standard. Sean, have you been in that same boat? Have you have you found one deck that absolutely just like dominates the entire field, or are you just coming out? You know, you're you're somebody who will go to a pre-release and not only try to find something that's great for them in a limited format, but you'll try to find the standard decks that work. But you want to help other people. Uh, have have you been helpful, or have you just been helping people and going, you know what, screw it, we can't find anything, it's fine. Yeah, so one thing that I've tried to be a lot better about is, first of all, playing more limited. Oh, last couple of years, I've been kind of light on my limited, so I've been playing a lot more. And in doing so, um, talking to people about limited decks and just seeing more and more pools has been really helpful. So this week, I spent a lot of time um, just building pools and talking to people. And that was pretty helpful. But uh, for standard right now, we're not really sure <laughs> what to do. Um, I just played the lucky clover deck the black green lucky clover deck the adventure deck that deck felt really sweet so i'm going to try to convince my teammate who's playing standard this weekend to at least give that a shot but um my guess is we'll probably just play a deck from fandom but i really like how the lucky clover decks are looking right now they're really cool to just draw a million cards and kill everything so those are my favorite kind of decks Clover is an interesting card. Has anybody else like tried that thing out? What's what's everyone's feeling on that kind of sleeper card that people have uh, have been digging so far in the format? I think Clover is like super super cool. Um, the adventure cards kind of give you multiple cards in general, so like it's always like kind of a two for one, even if like both effects are kind of medium. But then when you get like Lucky Clover in play, um, you like your okay abilities like maybe overcosted or whatever. Uh, just getting a, a ton of them, getting like free forks is really, really good. And then also like the in the innkeeper, um, Edgewall innkeeper allows you to get even more value off of them. So you just get a ton of like added value to all of your cards. And if you pile up enough like okay cards, they end up being really, really good. And some of the cards are just like really good in general anyway, uh, with like Murderous Rider and the uh, and Lovestruck Beast and stuff like that. Yeah, that was one thing I was noticing was you just get to a point where like you even you have like two clovers in play and your one removal spell just ends up being three and that was like pretty dope and then the giant just like ran I liked the giant. I know you were saying you didn't really like the beanstalk giant, but um I had one game where I was at three clovers in play or something like that and just getting to ramp yourself for three mana and then doing it four times was pretty nice. So I don't know. 
the deck I think is just still kind of new, but the the Lucky Clover plus double murder is like a very nice curve, I think. So I think it's something to be worth at least trying. There's a you lot. You can of... get like the uh, mind rot. There's like the mind rot uh, one, and like normally mind rot is like unplayable in standard. But oh then yeah. You just like add Lucky Clover, and you're like, eh, just discard four cards, and they're like, well, that's all. <laughs> of them. Like, yeah, it's fine. You just discard all of them. That's cool. Are we getting out to the next level where we play that demon? The seven, Are you talking about the seven mana flying demon? The one where they discard two cards? Or are you talking about the discard one card? The the discard two card one. The the, yeah. the one that like only flies if they have like two or less cards, I believe, in their hand. That and card's like so four, sweet. Oh, man. That seven mana four or five is something... It's something else. It's something where if you... I've seen a lot of things about the, about the limited format with this set where... Uh, at the very least, the payoffs feel fantastic. If you can, if you can set it up, uh, if you can set up a style of deck that works for you, and you at least have one or two cards that really pay off, uh, then you, when it happens, you just you have to pat yourself on the back. You feel pretty dang good about it. Um, which kind of leaves us in the fact of how we feel about the Throne of Eldraine. Our, our thoughts about the pre-release. There's a lot of things, both in the limited format and the standard format, we even even touched on modern, if we're going to touch on modern at, our, at all, because we're just kind of still digging through the cards and what they all do. Um, but there's a lot to feel out with this format, with the Throne of Eldraine. Adventure cards feel fantastic. Um, this set feels like such a value set in so many ways and shapes and forms. Uh, Caroline, I know you've done a lot with pre-releases. You've done a lot of sealed. You haven't done a lot of drafting. You know, what's your initial impressions of this set? Um, well, as you pointed out, I have not done a lot of drafting. Um, but I do actually plan, uh, my usual plan on Arena is to draft in the beginning. So I'm opening packs and then I'll craft after. Uh, I don't know if that's correct. It's something I just like to do. Um, so I've been kind of waiting for someone to break standard. Uh, hopefully that person is Eric. So then I get first crack at what happened. I will say I did the uh, play anything event uh, in arena and I ended up playing Esper stacks. I ended up just playing it all 12 games just because I was having a blast. I probably should have tried other stuff, but that deck was too much fun. Um, I don't think it's really where you want to be going forward, uh, but it was definitely a very fun best of one deck that I enjoyed. Um, I would, I think I will like to land somewhere with Oku in my deck. Oku, uh, I'm not really sure which is the best way. I know I've seen some Simic decks that look kind of cool. Uh, so for standard, I am going to land somewhere around Oku. So for those who might not know what Esper Stacks is, what's the, oh, in- what's yeah, the initial like rundown of what Esper Stacks is? I have to know the card names. Uh, well, it's <laughs> Doom Esper for Colors. Thank yeah. you. Uh, Esper Colors, uh, it actually does port over a lot of cards that are still legal from Esper uh, Control or Esper Hero. So it has some Wraths. It has some Oath of Kaya's. It has some Teferi, Baby Teferi. Um, and then it adds a new package, uh, which includes some eggs or artifacts that cantrip, that draw a card. Uh, it also includes a... And golden eggs, by the way. Yes, they're golden <laughs> eggs. <thank you>. Actual <laughs> eggs. <laughs> they yes, they have egg in the name, um, and then they also have a four mana enchantment called. What did you say? Doom foretold. Doom foretold. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which has a ability that goes on the stack on each player's upkeep that asks them to sack a non-token or non-land permanent, uh, and if they can't do that, then there's some benefits to you the owner of doom foretold which includes drawing a card and 
they discard a card and all that jazz. There's a lot of text on the card. Um, but what basically happens is you play this enchantment and they have to sack things. And then if you get to your turn and you have nothing else to sack, you can sack Doom Foretold. Um, but you also can sack your eggs and sack other um, enchantments that don't matter. And then there's a card called Dance of the Mance. So is that right? Yeah. Um, correct. That is a blue-white X spell that returns any number of artifact and enchantments or non-aura enchantments um, to the battlefield where X and X is what you pay. And the X looks at their converted mana cost and the number. So if you pay six, you can return up to six things that have a converted mana cost of six or less. So basically, oh, and when you do it for six or more, they get to become creatures. So it has this like built-in win condition where you just get all the things back that you sacked and kill your opponent. That's that card that we talked about last week where we were just, you know, we talked about last week just being like, what's that one card that we're just not sure about? And then, you know, it it's just going to come out and, and just blow everybody away a little bit. Dance of the Mance is that thing because you read the text and nothing about it. It's like return up to X artifact and or non aura enchantment cards with such. It's like reading the it's like reading the fine print of a user end license agreement. And you just say, yeah, sure, whatever. And you just move on to the next card. And then you find out later on, oh, man, this thing's actually really good and really fun all at the same time. Yeah, I have to admit I was a little surprised how early a deck like that appeared. I feel like uh, decks like that, like, it, it's not exactly the same, but I believe Kethis, the, the Kethis combo deck from previous standard is was sort of similar to that, where it took people a lot of time. Like, I don't think someone was secretly working on Kethis for the last three months, but it took them, like, a lot of, like, oh, hey, what else could I do in standard? Oh, hey, here's this cool combo deck. So it really didn't show up for two to three months, but the the Mance deck uh, kind of showed up a lot quicker than I was expecting. And I'm not sure how long it's going to stick around for, but it was very fun to play. I mean, and very I think... terrible to explain, so I did a bad job. <laughs> it's okay. You, like, there's, there's one person that can explain the standard format. Uh, it's it's probably going to be Eric. Uh, yeah, isn't that why we have Eric on this podcast? Yeah, Eric, what are your thoughts on the standard format so far? Like, what, What's your other uh, pontifications about the Throne of Eldraine? Uh, so, like, Throne of Eldraine was, like, really, really interesting at how fast it advanced, and I think a lot of it has to do with, like, the MTG arena. Um, you know, like, you just have so many people playing so much standard. And, uh, like I was saying before, at the beginning, we were just playing whatever we thought was cool, right? Because the set just came out, you had to play 12 uh, games with anything that, or uh, event, and then uh, as it slowly started to boil down, you started to see, like, these Oko decks. And the Oko decks were really, really solid, and they they made it so that it was really hard to play small aggressive decks uh, because their creatures would kind of outsize you. They have a bunch of food to gain a bunch of life, and then you couldn't play big creature decks because they would just turn into three threes with Oko. Um, so that was kind of like where we started, and then it just like kept evolving from there. And from there, we got to see decks like Field of the Dead decks, um, where you get to make a ton of zombies with just your lands and go way over the top of. Um, of things like Oko, and then um, even like the like the adventure deck, like the the deck me and Sean were talking about with the clovers, drawing just a ton of cards, having so much card advantage, uh, having kind of like weird cards uh, that can kind of like attack the field of the dead decks um, with like you know pseudo flying with your four or five uh, that has the the um, mind rot ability, and if you can also get the double mind rot, it's like really good against those decks. Um, Caroline was talking about the Dance of the Mance deck. Uh, that was an, another thing that Field of the Dead kind of answered. 
Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see kind of the field of deck is where we're at now and where we're going to go that goes and, you know, beats the field of the dead decks. Is it like Unmoored Ego? Is it Ashiok, um, which Dance of the Mans could play? Or is it something entirely new um, with maybe like a tempo flying deck because the, the zombies can't jump up and block the flying or can't block the flying creatures? You know, you yeah, just, yeah, uh, sorry, Sean, I'm, I'm just going to jump in and say <laughs> he said the words Unmoored Ego and Ashiok and I immediately put a smile on my face. That's all. That's all I can feel. It's like Unmortigo, Ashiok. Are those that 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 has a realm and standard? I feel so good about that. And Sean, you feel good about a lot of things about this standard format. What are you feeling? Yeah. So kind of like Eric was saying, people are just playing so much dang arena now that like decks decks are getting figured out so fast. One thing I wanted to touch on was that that dance of the band stack. That's just the first iteration, and like we're gonna see different evolutions of that. So I think that's kind of interesting. But what I've been playing a lot of right now is not only the Lucky Clover deck, but um, Sultai versions of the Oko decks. So blue-green mid-range, splashing some black cards for Veraska, and then Garrick, the... What is... Is it Garrick the Huntsman, I think? Is the new Garrick who makes two wolves. That card was... Bonkers. Insane. That card was so sweet. Um, and then we also had... Um, Tolsmere in play a couple times, so we had like the Command the Dread Horde, and then we had a, if you have a Tolsmere in play, and you have a Garrick and you plus it, all of your wolves get to fight stuff, and you gain a bunch of life. So, this is a really cool combo. Joe, another teammate of ours, is trying to play this deck on Arena this week, and figure out if that deck is playable or not, but that's kind of where we're at, is playing around with the Sultai version of the blue-green deck. Um, I really like how it looks, but it might not gain enough life like um, the old Command the Dreadhorde decks. That's the only thing I'm a little scared of, but it is a bigger version of the mid-range decks that we were kind of talking about earlier. Just sometimes you need to go over the other decks, but if the Field of the Dead decks are getting bigger, like it sounds like they are, I think the deck is probably not going to be good enough because the deck will struggle with battling back on against 14 2 2 zombies, I would think. You yeah. can bring back a bunch of planeswalkers, but none of those cards are going to matter against 48 power of zombies. Now, you bring up a great point with that is is the fact that, uh, at the very least, you were talking with your friend about what is this viable? Is this something that we mm-hmm. do? Is this is this going to work uh, in the new standard? Or uh, is this going to work in limited? Is this going to work in, in whatever format that I'm playing? Uh, that's the importance of talking with other people about. Uh, playing Magic the Gathering, but not just playing it for yourself, but playing it with others, uh, which is kind of one of the reasons why we started this podcast, was to talk about how we uh, play our game, but how we can get better and how we can involve others in playing Magic the Gathering, which uh, it brings me to like the next topic of discussion that we wanted to touch on, which was the team pre-release discussion, which was you know how does playing and planning with friends or with a team or with whomever help you in a in a pre-release you know what should you and your play group be in discussions what should you talk about before what should you talk about during what do you talk about after a pre-release uh, event and so you know i know we all have kind of uh we're all in different places with how we approach uh this new format we all we're all in different places with how we talk about uh and and deal with the throne of eldraine coming out uh but i'm interested in how uh, how you all have talked with your friends, have you talked with your own teammates here in Swagoy, and uh, other people that you might know that might be a little bit uh, a little bit uh, more uh, versed in the realms of Magic the Gathering or less. So, uh, Caroline... That's impossible. No, I, no, no not, not at all. No, we're all fantastic. We're the top people in the entire 
in all I mean I don't know why any of us aren't in the MPL right now especially me uh Caroline who have you, what is the things that you've known in, in terms of how you prep for a pre-release or the folks that you've talked about and how you've worked with your teammates uh or others in terms of getting ready for the pre-release and uh in working in Throne of Eldraine um I would say that this was this was interesting this was this is one of the first pre-releases in a while where I hadn't personally pulled up the spoilers and kind of sat down and memorized or looked at the cards, but I actually felt pretty prepared because I'm in a lot of group chats. Uh, group chats are actually one of my favorite things. Um, but one of them is definitely the Sukhoi uh, Discord, as well as some other discords and some other um, just random groups of people. And through that, I just saw a ton of cards. Every time something came out, there was usually multiple messages about how so this card is broken or this card looks great. Um, some of them have been true. Some of them have been not true. It, it really depends. But just sitting down at these pre-releases on the weekend, you know, and, and opening my packs, I'm, you know, seeing a card name and going, oh, I know what that does. Oh, I know what the cat does. Oh, I know what the cauldron does. The many cauldron does. Cauldrons um, on cauldrons on cauldron. Yeah. And I, uh, I really appreciate it. It just, you know, I'm not necessarily contributing as much to those uh, conversations. I'm not always, you know, top of the, the, oh, this is new information I have to share with my friends list. I'm kind of bad at that. Um, but I really did enjoy just reading everyone else's uh, links and thoughts and um, opinions on different cards and that that myself or that has helped me myself um, improve even just this weekend. Uh, and I encourage like, uh, if possible, like we don't have to be as, you know, a fancy team with fancy jerseys. Uh, but we do, you just have to have some friends. I've got multiple different Facebook groups of, you know, various magic playing friends. And, so, you know, we don't share every card all the time, but it's a good way to, to get to know the information. What do you do if you don't have any friends, though, Caroline, like me? I'll be your friend. <laughs> oh, thanks. Oh, wait. Oh, did you mean you specifically, Sean? No, okay, sorry. I, I meant the listeners. Oh, okay. I don't, can we edit the, I don't want to be Sean's friend. So close. So close. <laughs> yeah, I got tricked. Another section for the for the show notes. This is the section where Caroline will be friends with everybody. I'll be friends with everyone. I love people. But that's a great point, Sean. Is that you know what do you do if you don't uh, if you don't have anybody that uh, that plays Magic, right? Or, or maybe you're just getting into the game because of Magic Arena. Uh, maybe you're you know watch some YouTube videos and you're just like, what is this game? And you've gotten into it from an online sense. Uh, it can be intimidating, you know, when you go to a pre-release for the very first time. So. Uh, I know my very first pre-release was was actually fairly recently, which which uh, was Ravnica Allegiance, and so for me it was uh, kind of learning from a couple of friends who maybe played it before uh, from other games and that kind of stuff, or just someone who's been uh, well versed in it, and then I kind of learned about uh, all the other great resources that are out there to learn about the game, especially in a pre-release sense. You know, I got to watch YouTube videos on it from like Tolarian Community College. I got to discover, and from there I discovered limited resources and all the other wonderful podcasts and content creators that are out there about, at the very least, how to show up to a pre-release and understand that uh, it's okay to not know what you're doing. It's okay to not know what the cards are. It's okay to just uh, show up and have a good time, and people will be cool with that. You know, you can sit there and say, hey, I'm fairly new to this game. And most every single player I played against was very, very accommodating. And then from there, I learned, okay, now I can discover the spoiler charts. Now I can learn about cards. Now I can do these things to get better and better at the time. But 
it's that's one of the cool things about a pre-release. You can be one of the top players in all of Magic the Gathering. You can be a brand new player to it. But uh, in that, you will discover friends. And when you discover friends who also play the game, you'll get better at the game and can go to a pre-release that way. Which is why we, we're talking about this game in the first place. The four of us love to do pre-releases. We love to do this kind of stuff. Um, that's what I've enjoyed about it. Eric, what, I mean... Obviously, you enjoy many things about this game, but what what has been the best part about working with your friends and working with your teammates to get to just learn about how you're going to tackle the first couple of weeks of the Throne of Eldraine? Uh, I think like one of the best things for me personally is like when you're when you have friends that you can talk to or teammates that you can talk to, um, you can you you can go to them when you're frustrated, right? Like not necessarily like tilting, but something like. I can't figure out this matchup. Does anybody have like any knowledge on how this works? Um, you know, and then they can go, Hey, I've been winning this matchup because of this specific card that you're not playing in your list or because I look at it a different way and I use my cards differently. And I think that's like one of the big things is like you, you can have the same, you know, 60 cards or 75 cards or whatever you want to say. And it's like, maybe someone can't beat a matchup and it's just because of the, the lines that they're taking and someone might be winning the matchup all the time. And if you if you get together and talk about it, you can then create uh, or you can then like become champions of that matchup. And I think that's like the coolest thing about having a testing group or having a, a team or having friends that you know play a bunch of magic and uh, maybe just like think about it a little bit different ways. I mean, on Segoy, we have so many different types of people and so many different types of playstyles that I think that um, getting them all together sometimes just helps a lot with that type of thing. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that. The one nice thing is that you can put your idea out there and that's just your point of view. Someone else has an entirely different point of view from their experiences. Like for me, for example, is like I've been playing the same deck for seven, eight years now, but I can get ask an opinion and someone else who's been playing the same deck the same amount of time has different experiences and I can get a whole different line of insight from them. So having people to talk to makes the whole game that much better and more fun. So that's one great thing about, you know, being able to talk to people about that kind of stuff. It's one of the biggest thing for me is just, is to, especially when people talk about a certain matchup that should be favored. And then I jump in going, how, how could this possibly be favored? I've played it over and over and over again. It is not favored. I lose every time in this matchup. I just don't get it. And then someone just goes, Oh, well you, you play this card at this time and you go, Oh, Oh my God! And then all of a sudden, you've 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 made that light bulb moment, right? That you don't necessarily get that just trying to work through the game yourself. Sometimes it takes you know interactions with friends on Discord. It takes like working through a pre-release. It takes doing those things where you can achieve those those light bulb moments. You know, um, does anyone have like uh, a thought on a certain card or an interaction that they've seen uh, in these intro spots of Throne of Eldraine? But just really anytime, if you can think something that comes off the top of your head that was like a light bulb moment for you going, oh, oh, I never thought about doing this or working it this way. I've been so tunnel visioned on a certain archetype or tunnel vision on a certain card that I never thought about the interactions of other things like we saw with something like that Dance with the Mance. Um, one of the things, it wasn't necessarily, or I shouldn't say it wasn't a light bulb moment for myself, um, but when I was streaming um, earlier this week, there's a new card called Once Upon a Time. And uh, one of my one of the people that was watching the stream was like, okay, well, at the end of your opponent's turn, you're going to cast Once Upon a Time. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to cast Once Upon a Time right now. I'm going to wait until I'm going to cast my first spell, right? And I just like didn't real really realize why 
And so we got to like talk them through it, like also with visuals, right? Because they're watching my stream. And it was like, I drew my card. I played my temple. I scried, you know, either top or bottom. It doesn't really matter. And then I still had the once upon a time in my hand. My opponent then plays a land and then does some stuff and then comes back to my turn. I draw and I'm going to go ahead and cast Lucky Clover. So now is the time where I'm going to cast Once Upon a Time because now I have the maximum amount of information before casting Once Upon a Time. I know whether or not I'm looking for a land. I know if I'm going to draw a creature, it's you know a creature that's going to be good against my opponent's deck. And I think it, like it just like ended up being the way they reacted. It ended up being a very big light bulb moment for somebody inside my chat, which was like super awesome and one of the more fulfilling things about streaming Magic. Light bulb moments with Conan Hawk. That's going to be. It's going to be your side cast. It's like a little five-minute podcast that you bring. Light bulb moments with Conan Hawk. Every single time you make that comment on your – whenever you're on stream and you make a comment like that, you have to realize your, your brilliance and just push a button so it goes ding. And everyone's like, yes, light bulb moment. And then we'll all like spam it in chat. That's all we're going to do everything after that. Yeah, so that's going to be my new emote. It's just like a little light bulb, huh? Perfect. Absolutely. We need more emotes in the world. We need more light bulbs. We need more light bulb moments in Magic the Gathering because without light bulb moments, all we're going to do is punt the game away. And many of us are well versed in punting the game away, which is uh, brings us to like our favorite segment usually I think of this whole time, which is this uh the Swigoy punt of the week. It's where we bring forth our biggest punts from the past week and we commiserate in our own ineptitude. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we're going to share our foibles just to let everyone know that, hey, we all make mistakes. And even though our victories sometimes have great stories, our mistakes have great stories as well. And uh, let's let's bring in our, our resident punter uh, on the team, which is uh, Mr. Toolshed, Sean Gallagher. Sean, what was your what was your biggest punt of this week? Hey, uh, one thing I think uh, I've been downgraded. My new name is Sean Stupid Face Gallagher. Just needed a bring that up so it's not sean mr Toolshed anymore it's stupid face so if you could uh if you could give me my title i'd appreciate that it's true those stupid um, <laughs> the stupid faces though are like a mixture like we spell stupid face with a mixture of caps capital letters and like lowercase letters <laughs> and like the face has like the e is like a is like a, a dollar sign and a few other spots in there so it's like it's that really cool stupid face Exactly. I'd really appreciate that. But uh, one thing I really did a bad job this weekend is it just like every other pre-release is I don't know every card in the set and I just forgot or didn't read one of my opponent's cards and like was just trying to kill them in one turn like they're at like four life or whatever. It's just trying to kill them. And I sent a pretty reckless attack and they just block blocked. And I'm like, all right, you go to negative one or whatever. And turned out one of their cards had lifelink on it and just realized I threw the game away just because I didn't read their stupid cards. Um, another one that I kind of thought very similar, I uh, forgot that Blacklands Paragon, or I didn't realize it because I, again, didn't read the card, that it can target itself and give it lifelink and death touch. So basically the entire pre-release, I just played it like a 3-1 with Flash instead of a like guy with lifelink death touch. So by the third round, I realized after reading my card that um, he can kill stuff. So one helpful tip, read your own cards. Also, read your opponent's cards. Read, read every card. Read the cards, period. Also, my yeah. favorite... Read the, fun, read the fun card. Yeah. yeah, exactly. My favorite phrase of words from that entire conversation was the reckless attack. So, Caroline, I need you to, to meet with those kids again. And one of the cards they have to design is reckless attack. It's probably, okay, it's I, probably a red card. I'll work on this. I have less access to... 
uh, creative children than I used to with um, a change of employment, but I will work on getting some cards made for you. Well, we just need people that are out there listening to the show to tweet at Swagoi Gaming, S-W-A-G-O-I Gaming, of what you think Reckless Attack would be as a Magic the Gathering card, especially if it's in the throne of Eldraine, because it has to be magical in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but does anyone else have any uh, wonderful punts that they've done over the span of uh, this past week or so? Uh, Please, someone it. have something. I can't be the only one. I've made a, <laughs> uh, in, the, in the flavor of Reckless Attack, I've definitely, uh, at the beginning of my testing, gone and attacked with my 1-1s that I've made with my uh, Lovestruck Beast, and they have died in combat. And then I go ahead and cast my Lovestruck Beast, and I'm ready to attack my opponent the next turn, and I don't have any more 1-1s to attack with. And, uh, yeah. And it, my opponent made what at the time seemed like questionable blocks and then made perfect sense when I went to my next combat step and wasn't attacked with my 5-5. Five five. I've definitely been gang-blocked by that stupid 2-2 two -two with Flash Wolf more than once now, and I have to stop letting that happen. I don't even remember the name of the card. I should probably read it, but uh, I just know it has flash, and I keep walking into it for no reason. It also has reach, if you. <laughs> oh, man. because of course it does. Some... Yeah. Why? Do you know why that? does the trebuchet have reach? <laughs> well, it's really it tall. Can shoot obviously, yeah. Yeah, not very well. It doesn't have very good aim. Did you know that snake? That's why it misses and hits the people. <laughs> new card. New card. Reckless trebuchet. Oh, perfect. Already, most trebuchets are pretty reckless. I do not believe they have great accuracy. <laughs> okay, new card. Redundant trebuchet. Keyword reckless. That's all that's going to have on top of it. I, I haven't made any... Well, I've, I made lots of punts, I'm sure. But I have not <laughs> recalled any of that right now. But I will say I really have enjoyed casting or being uh, told to that I did not say please uh, with a counter spell. I, I believe that makes... For some reason, it makes your spells being countered a little bit more enjoyable. <laughs> Like, ah, shoot, I didn't say please. It was a little bit harder in Canada because we all say please, so the joke's <laughs> less funny, but it, it was okay. And even then when they cast don't say please, they probably apologize right after saying it. Like, don't even say you didn't say please. <laughs> you just go, I cast this, and then they throw that card down and they go, sorry. I did have a lot of opponents go, please, question mark, afterwards, which was very funny. And I wasn't sure if they were serious. It was I was confused. I love every bit of that. And that's uh, that's that's our punts. For the week, if you have uh, a wonderful, memorable punt that you've done this past week to share in the fact that, hey, we all made mistakes, that's how we grow, then tweet your biggest punt to at Swagoi Gaming, at S-W-A-G-O-I Gaming, and be sure to use the hashtag Swagoi Punt. Uh, that'll let us know exactly what you're talking about so we can search through and find your best story about the mistakes that you made. But you know what? We make mistakes so that we can get lit. Of course, when I say lit, I mean uh, we are learning it. We're learning how to play the game, which is why uh, we bring into our next segment of, like, what's the one thing that we're doing to get better at magic? How are we learning it? How are we getting lit right now, which is uh, the big spot right here. So, fam, I'm talking to you right now. What's what's the thing, the one thing you're doing this week to get better? For myself, it's, it's finding, as you were talking about, Caroline, that didn't say pleases, it's finding the best and correct value for my counter spells, oftentimes I will counter the very first thing I see. You know, my opponent will play something. I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I need a, a counter, counter it right away. And then all of a sudden, I've realized I've lost all my counter spells. And then they play the one big engine for their deck, or they pay that one big bomb in limited. And I realized I really should have held on to my counter spells. And so that's been my big thing that I've been going forward uh, in this past week is is when I have a counter, and when my opponent plays something. 
really deciding if I should if I should use the counter now or if I should save it for something bigger or if they're going to play something bigger going after that. What's everyone else? What are they what are they doing to get better at their pre-release or what are they doing to get better at magic this week? Uh so mine is kind of cheating because uh, for those that are playing along at home, I used this last week. Uh, but I believe pre-release is a big part of how I am pr- improving. As much as I uh, went on these adventures to visit friends that I hadn't seen in a while, uh, to visit some new stores that I hadn't been to, um, I was still playing Magic and I was still learning uh, the new cards. And I really think that even just playing more Magic, whether it was with pre-release or on Arena, uh, the more games you play, especially for myself, I'm a very... A repetitive learner. So the more I can do, the more I can learn. Um, I will say that a lot of triggers were missed by myself and my opponents. And because it's pre-release, obviously rewind played out correctly. Um, there were many times that uh, we'll go to someone's, you know, upkeep and they'll go, "Oh shoot, I didn't get, I didn't use my trebuchet." And I was like, "All right, well you're at 11. That's or I'm at 11. That's fine. You know, it's it's pre-release. You're gonna allow all these misses." Um, there were a few times I, I cast knights and then cast tap the trebuchet really quickly and then untapped it. And um, these are all, of course, uh, as long as your opponent is okay with it, these are all things that are pretty natural in a new environment. Um, and I think one of the reasons I was extra bad at it is because I've been playing a lot of arena and arena does all these things for you. Uh, so this was pretty, this was a good way for me to learn and improve and, and I had a lot of fun as well, so that was good. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go to a pre-release. Um, I had to move this last weekend, uh, so I can't use Caroline's uh, pre-release uh, out as uh, she she does. But um, I got to play a lot of Arena, and that was great. Um, it does still do all my triggers for me, which is you know makes it a lot easier. But the biggest thing that I did this weekend is I or this last week is I tested a lot of decks that are outside of my usual comfort zone. Um, I love attacking with creatures. I love being the beatdown. And uh, one of the things I wanted to work on was play the control deck. So I played things like Esper Stacks. I played the Field of Dead decks. Um, played like Jeskai Planeswalkers. Um, and while maybe it wasn't as much fun as I, I was uh, as my other beatdown decks, but um, I did learn a lot. I learned a lot about how those decks work. Um, I learned how to play the, the, the game from their side of the matchup, which is very big. Um, learning how that, you know, if your opponent did something differently and learning that they could have, you know, maybe cast something in a different way could have put you in a bad spot. Or maybe they do something that you might not have done and puts you in a worse spot is something to learn throughout the matchup. So just playing the matchup from both sides helped a lot. And um, I think that's the biggest thing that I did this week to help myself uh, learn something in Magic. Nice. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> That's kind of what I've been trying to do over the last year is just playing decks out of my comfort zone. Um, another thing I've been doing is play more limited, like I had kind of touched on before. The last few, well, I guess ever since I started playing Magic, I've been more of a constructed player. And while being a constructed player is very nice, um, having that limited experience is something I felt like I was lacking in. So one thing I've done a really... I've been trying to do a lot more of is asking for help, so... The Grand Prix, you know, asking for deck advice from people, posting deck my pools, and then asking people what they think I, I should have built instead of what I actually built. So just getting, just not being afraid to ask questions has been really a big push for me this last year because in the past I just didn't want to sound stupid, but everyone's got to ask stupid questions 
at some point. So I just stopped being afraid and just started asking questions. And I felt like, I mean, I won a limited PTQ this year, so I felt pretty good about that. So felt like my efforts have been rewarded in some way, shape or form. So, um, you know, not being afraid to ask questions, I think has helped me a lot. Absolutely. Asking questions is kind of the key there. And I, I think the one through line between what all y'all said was the fact that don't don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try something different. Don't be afraid to try a different format. If you play a lot of constructed, don't be afraid to try limited. If you play a lot of draft, don't be afraid to try sealed. If you play a lot of con- if you play a lot of uh, standard, don't be afraid to try a different format on top of that because uh, we all remember what it was like for all of us to to try and fail and fail and fail and then start to get the hang of things. Uh, but we all do that by not being afraid. Uh, and we don't, and we and we get better by asking questions, and that's the kind of big thing that we that we want to know. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask us questions. You know, you can tweet at us, you can uh, listen to the podcast, write a comment somewhere, or write us a review, whatever you want to do to ask us uh, questions of what you want to see on the podcast. You can ask us what's the things that we're afraid of in magic when it comes to us playing magic. What's the things that intimidate us? Because there's always things that intimidate us. Uh, but that's at the very least one thing that each of us are doing to get better at Magic the Gathering. And uh, the one thing that I do know about the rest of this is that that's going to do it for this episode. So, uh, you know, we'll be back next week, of course, to talk more about the Throne of Eldraine. We'll talk more about, uh, you know, standard limited, maybe even more formats outside of that. But as always, if you want to learn more about our our organization, you can visit us at www.swagoi.com, S-W-A-G-O-I.com, and you can meet all the team members from our various teams, including Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, uh, Fighting Games, and more. Uh, and uh, there's, as always, you can find us all over the place in many places around the Internet. Caroline, where can people find you? Uh, well, I have a Twitter. It is at Mighty Linguini, M-I-G-H-T-Y-L-I-N-G-U-I-N-E. Um, I actually did a little bit of a story tweet this weekend on my adventure, which was pretty cool. Um, lots of really awesome photos, lots of little stories about mythics and friends. <laughs> um, I'm also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TheMightyLinguini. Um, I stream on Wednesdays. I always have a magic guest in some way. Uh, we don't always play magic. This week I will be having uh, actually a local friend who I met recently uh, who also streams, and she's going to come and join me, and we're going to play some magic. So it'll be a rare magic stream for us, which will be pretty cool. Awesome. Eric, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on, t- on Twitter, at Conan Hawk. That's C-O-N-A-N-H-A-W-K. Um, you can also find me on Twitch TV at twitch.tv slash Conan Hawk, and I stream Monday through Friday Usually uh, like 10 a.m. Central Standard Time to right around 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Wonderful. Sean, where can people find you? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not as fancy as these other people, but I have, you know, Twitter. You can find me at Mr. Toolshed, Facebook. And then this weekend, I'll be in Philly. If you're there, come say hi. Let's go get some Philly steaks. Maybe get a drink or two or five. However we do in the tournament, we'll dictate that. Um, so yeah, come say hi at the tournament. I'll be normal magic attire, Swagoi jersey, plaid shorts of some sort, I'm sure. So come say hi. It'll be dope. We'll have a good time. So thanks. Yeah. And of course, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Brasky1142. And that's going to do it for uh, us this week. It's been another wonderful time with the fam, with friends and magic. And so we wish you all a wonderful rest of your week, wherever you are listening to us, however you are listening to us, and we hope to see you next time. So, bye, fam. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.